This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Girl on Top Shallon XO podcast. I'm your host, Shallon Lester, and you might know me from my YouTube channel, where I analyze celeb relationships and scandals for the lessons we can take into our own lives. But here on the podcast, I answer the best questions you submitted over the past week. Welcome back to the podcast, Shalligators. Today, I want to talk about Top Gun. Wait a minute. What does she mean? Like the movie? Yeah, man. The movie, not the old school version, which is an absolute masterpiece. I mean, it makes me happier than almost any boy I've ever dated. But the new one, Top Gun Maverick, I've seen it, well, more times than I probably should admit to. And there's a part in there that stood out to me as something we can honestly learn so much from, not the jorts beach football scene where they're both playing offense, because what the fuck does that even mean? How would that even work? What does that mean? Anyway, doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. It's not like I've thought about it a lot. I'm going to break down some lessons from that and talk about what to do when a guy you like or love or are dating needs help, like they need advice or you know, you know what the right thing to do is. You know what's going on in their mind, actually, and they're not aware of it. How do you handle this? Well, Top Gun is going to tell us. But before we get into it, I remind you guys that Alpha Academy, the sexy sessions are still in effect. Tonight, we have our blowjob masterclass. It's going to be pretty amazing, honestly. And you can watch it for up to a week before our next and last episode airs next Thursday. And that is going to be about sex and Listen, I know that we can only watch these videos for a week and then they expire basically. And once they're gone, they're gone. Unless you are part of the Chalantrage, my daily text service, which also gives you access to our super cozy, super wonderful Telegram chat. It's just like a bunch of us like chit chatting all day long. Like I've so far told a lot of you guys stuff I haven't even told my friends yet, or certainly not stuff I put on YouTube. Not only does the Chalantourage give you access to the Telegram chat, you're going to get exclusive videos, fuckboy Friday tips, slutty Saturday, 
Oh my gosh, what else? Evil Monday, Wisdom Wednesday. There's things that are going to be coming straight to your inbox all the time. And you're going to have unlimited access to all of the Alpha Academy Sexy Sessions forever. They're never going to expire. So you're going to save yourself a few bucks if you sign up for that. And you get to talk to me directly all day. And I love you. I love you guys so much more than my IRL friends. You're the best. Okay, let's talk Top Gun. Yeah, this is not our normal subject matter. But like I said, I've seen it, you know, more times than I should probably admit out loud just because (laughs) I thought it was such a fun summer movie. I love America. I love soldiers. I love pilots. Oh, I can't get enough. And I also love figuring out ways to help people who matter to us without sacrificing our boundaries. Now, it's important to have a vocabulary word. Codependent. That's our word of the week. Codependent is a word that we hear a lot and we throw it around. And I always kind of associated it with like drug addicts. You know, you'd see two alcoholics and it's like, oh, they're so codependent. You know, they're just in this like mutual circle jerk of awfulness. Like they both have the exact same issues and they can't break out of them. That's what I always thought of as codependency. What it actually is, as its definition is, I care more about your problems than you care about your problems. And holy shit. Has that not defined so many of our relationships? And I don't just mean romantically. Think about a best friend who keeps going back to that fuckboy. Usually it's me. I'm that friend, unfortunately. Where you just want to grab your friend by the ears and you're like, why are you doing this? And you're sitting there thinking of what to say and how to present it. And you come at her soft and you come at her hard and blah, blah, blah. And you just find yourself getting so worked up about things. Why? Well. Partly because, I mean, empirically, shit like that is frustrating. You care about your best friend. You don't want to see her go through this. It's also annoying that she's hijacking another brunch, yet another happy hour, to talk about Travis, who clearly is never going to commit. And it just goes on and on, rinse, repeat, right? It's frustrating. It's very frustrating to try to help someone solve a problem that at the end of the day, you realize goes in one of two directions. Either they simply do not have the skill set or the bandwidth to solve it, or worse, they don't want to. Oof. They don't want to. People don't change unless a situation is uncomfortable. One of my best friends, Greer, she's becoming a psychologist and a therapist, and it's really amazing to have seen the transformation in her. I mean, she was always incredibly smart and super psychologically aware, which is one thing we bonded over, you know, because we both love psychology and getting to the root of why people act the way they do and why we act the way we do and truly how we can change and be better. So it's really cool to see her gain all this clinical knowledge. But one thing she said to me, because I spent the last weekend with her, she's like, all change comes at a cost. Every change, even positive change, and actually especially positive change, costs us something. And I know we look at people who are doing the wrong thing chronically. They're drinking too much. They're going back to the fuckboy, whatever it might be. And you think, oh my God, but look at the cost of that. Look at the cost of that. True. But the cost of those bad things are predictable at some point, right? You go back to that fuckboy more than twice, you know how it's going to go. You know when he's going to shift. You know how he's going to ghost. You know exactly the chick at the bar he's going to try to finger bang in the bathroom. You know it. Same with alcohol. I mean, alcohol doesn't disappoint you. 
It's predictable. Yeah, you're going to feel like shit the next day. You're probably going to get fired. But on some level, you see that coming. And human beings are risk machines above all things. We consider it a survival mechanism to pull ourselves towards the familiar, even if that's bad, because we can anticipate the consequences and prepare for it, build it in, versus the cost of doing something that's better, healthier, and and more right for our lives. Because, well, we don't know how that's going to turn out. Dating the nice guy? Well, I don't know how that's going to go. Listen, for the past two years, I've been entangled with a fuckboy, my Hurt Locker ex, I mean, nightmare. And the reason I have let it go on that long, off and on, of course, I mean, huge gaps where we didn't talk, you know, six months, eight months, whatever, but (laughs) it's been going on that long, is because it was predictable. It was a compartmentalizable pain that I could break down into digestible pieces and I could, in fact, digest it. Recently, I met someone who completely changed the game for me. Mature, smart, cognitive, psychologically aware, wants to be better, doesn't put up with a lot of bullshit. And I really wanted to run. Why? Because it was costing me something. And when Greer said that to me, what does positive change cost you? I realized what dating this new, really high-level thinker was costing me was my own pettiness and immaturity. I call it the Kourtney Kardashian syndrome. She stayed with Scott for so long because he was such a mess, not in spite of it, but because of it. Because then, no matter how messy she got, (laughs) it was nowhere near his mess. She could do whatever she wanted to and feel justified. And when we look at the rest of her behavior, kind of like a tyrant she is, that's exactly what she always wants. She wants to just run the show. So she's going to gravitate towards people who are such a fucking mess. She can do that. And that's what I was doing with my Hurt Locker. I could behave so petty. I could be so mean and vicious and messy and vengeful because, hey, he started it. He made me this way with a new guy who was actually mature. Well, fuck. I had to match that energy, didn't I? I had to be mature. I had to communicate effectively. I couldn't be reactive. I had to be proactive. There was a cost there. And uh, listen, I'm sending out a video just to the Chalantrage subscribers about what's happened. Um, Yeah, that's a whole separate thing. (laughs) But it made me really, it really brought into focus like positive change has what we can deem a negative cost. Look at getting in shape, right? Of course, you can see the benefit to that, but we can also very clearly see the downside. I got to get up early. I got to work out. I have to feel stupid at the gym. I have to pour myself into these tight, uncomfortable spandex clothes. Like there's a million downsides to that. So people stay fat. They stay on the couch and they stay lazy because even though that sucks, it's predictable. It's predictable suckiness. So let's get into Top Gun. First of all, okay, I just need to talk a little bit about Top Gun, like before I get into the lesson. I saw that movie and I was like, this is the greatest movie I've ever seen. And there was this boy that I was talking to and like he's a screenwriter and he's been a director. So he looks at things from a very cinematic point of view and he left me like 20 minutes of voice notes. Just it was its own podcast. I should have just woven it in. And he was livid. He's like, this was the stupidest fucking movie I've ever seen. First of all, calling it Top Gun Maverick. 
The first Top Gun was Top Gun Maverick. That was about Maverick. This one is also about Maverick. Tom Cruise is, what, 60? And he's got the romantic lead? He's got the romantic plot? You can't have the young kids have the main plot line? It's got to be the old dude with his shirt off and fucking all the time? I mean, that's an exaggeration, but not by a lot. And I was like, you know, that's really true. Like, Miles Teller put on, like, what, 30 pounds of muscle? And we get one... It's not even long enough for a gif. It's like a 0.2 second clip of him in that stupid volleyball scene or football scene, whatever it was, doing this squid seizure dance with his shirt off and Hangman. Can we talk about Hangman? Get Hangman's dick out. Why is Hangman not fucking his way through the whole movie? He's clearly a narcissistic asshole. That's his whole character. He's a smoke show. This guy should be banging his way around Miramar. Is that too much to ask? Is it for Hangman's dick to be out? Listen, if I ran a porn company, like if I ran like Vivid Video or whatever the big porn companies are, I'd be like, we are allotting 99% of our budget to going through every big blockbuster movie, taking a minor character, an actor who, I don't know, maybe they've got a career, maybe not. You know, they're probably not going to be the big star. And we're going to offer them like $10 million to do a porn. It's going to be a real porn. And all the little girls who watch that, and they're like, oh, hangman, because I always fall for the villain. They're going to be like, I will pay $29.99 to watch this, 100%. And I would. God, you guys, do I have to do everything around here? Ugh. Do I have to do everything around here? Okay, one thing I did love about Top Gun is the nostalgia factor. Like, a lot of scenes were shot for shot, almost identical to the original, which I think is cool because to me that bridges two generations. And the guy who hated the movie, he's like, you can't make a sequel and a remake at the same time. And that's kind of what this was. I see it as like both generations, whether you grew up on the original Top Gun like I did or whether you're seeing it for the first time now, you get that same nostalgic feeling of this ridiculous beach sports scene in jorts with these oiled up homoerotic montages. And you're like, hell yeah, this is ushering in a sexual awakening. I love it. Okay. But again, I digress. Let's get into the advice. So there was a scene, and I, I'm not going to spoil too much, but for Maverick, Tom Cruise, like, it, and every movie has the same structure. It honestly does. Whether you're talking Anna Karenina, Pulp Fiction, Pride and Prejudice, doesn't matter. They all have the exact same structure. Like, literally, like, the B-plot is introduced on page 12, and the character shift on page 36. Like, it is extremely precise. And it's really sort of interesting. But there's a point in every movie called All is Lost. The dark night of the soul, the bad guys closing in, where the main character feels like all is lost. You know, I'm I'm never going to get the girl. Like, the aliens are going to invade. We're going to lose this war, whatever it might be. And then, you know, he gets his mojo back and saves the day. Every movie works this way. And so, of course, Maverick worked this way. And there's a point, and he's like, it's all going bad. And, uh. and the girlfriend, Penny Benjamin, played by Jennifer Connelly, who I've interviewed on a red carpet, and she is weird as fuck. Like, she's very weird. That's, she's just very standoff. She, she seemed very skittish. Like, if there was a loud noise, she'd, like, skitter under a table, almost like a, like a cat or something. I don't know. And she is 
like emaciated. I j- I felt bad for her because it's like I know I've known enough anorexic sorority girls to know what it looks like and to know the kind of neuroses that comes with that and how just in your head you are all the time. And it's awful. And I just I hope that was a long time ago. That was maybe eight years ago. Hopefully she's in a better place. She was great in this movie. But Maverick is dark night of the soul. And he's like, I just, you know, all is lost. I don't know what I'm going to do. And her character is very sassy and sharp. And she's not just like, oh, okay. She's not just some ditz they cast, some like fuck toy. She's like a cool, bad bitch. And she puts her arm around him. She's like got her head on his shoulder. And she's like, you'll figure it out. You always do. And that's all she said. I'm a big believer in negative space, whether it is decorating your house. Don't put everything on every wall. You can have some negative space. Whether even in fashion, sometimes it's what you don't show that's interesting. And certainly when it comes to like storytelling and movies and art and things like this, it's what you don't say. Sometimes it sticks out to me. Ditto with human communication. All she said was, you're going to figure it out. I know you will. I believe in you. And this is a woman who ostensibly would probably have some ideas. Well, oh, well, you can call the admiral. Oh, well, you can do this and blah, blah, blah. She probably had some ideas. All of us high-level alpha females do. We're solvers. We're fixers. We're acquirers. We are conquerors. And so it's really difficult for us not to snap into that mode when someone we love is facing a crisis or a fork in the road. I mean... <laughs> Look what I do for a living. And even if you guys don't do anything near what I do, I know you kind of play this role very often in your friendships or your relationships or your family. Probably all of them. If you do them in one category, it almost always comes up in the other ones. Like, that's just how it goes. We cannot really compartmentalize this. And so when Penny said that to Maverick, I was like, oh, wait a minute. She's not jumping in to rescue him. She's not like going and getting her pilot's license. Well, I'll save the day. She's not trying to fix it. She's just being a cheerleader. And we've talked about cheerleaders before. Cheerleaders don't play. Never once have I heard in a huddle, okay, um, Odell is going to pass the ball to Brittany and Hannah on the sidelines. They're going to run it into the end zone. That's literally never happened. The cheerleaders have their thing that they do, and they're being so supportive and they're so into the game, but they are not actually in the game. The players are in the game. And even when they are working really hard to be the best cheerleader they can be, that's exactly right. They're trying to be the best cheerleader they could be. They're not mimicking the players just in case they need us to step in. They have a whole different workout routine. They stretch differently. They are in a completely different category with completely different goals. And they let the players do their thing. And if they lose, oh, that's okay. We love you anyway. And if they win, I knew you could do it. They are not crossing lanes. This is something we need to keep in mind. Because if we don't, yep, we veer into codependency. And holy shit, is it unsexy. Listen to me. If being codependent worked, (laughs) uh, I'd tell you. I would tell you. If anyone could play therapist to a guy and have him have this major incredible awakening, it would be me, right? And I know a lot of 
people who are therapists and they really try not to therapize the people they know because the rule of therapy isn't, I'm going to tell you what's wrong with you. I'm going to tell you what to do, which I find extremely vexing because I want to be told. I'm here because I want to get fucking better. Tell me what I'm doing wrong. Tell me how to fix it. And honestly, side note, cognitive behavioral therapy is the most like that because it's like behavioral shifts. Like get up, walk around with your hands above your head if you're having an anxiety attack. Perform mundane tasks if you're anxious about something. Like, you know, so that that is a bit helpful. But overall, therapists ask enough leading questions so that you come to these answers on your own. For one, it's better and it will create more lasting change if you like get it. If you have that moment, you're like, oh God, oh God, it's my father, right? But also they don't want to be codependent. This is a self-preservation technique. Like imagine if they were super, super invested in all of their patients. I mean, how could they even function? I mean, I can tell them because that's how I am with you guys. And the answer is poorly. I get so twisted on your problems. Like, I want so much for you guys to do the thing that's going to make you happy and don't do this. And I just end up barking orders at you. It's really unhealthy for all of us. But a real therapist doesn't do it like that. A real therapist, ironically, hangs back a little bit. But when we, as non-therapists, as just regular chicks who love someone and want them to be better, that is the hardest ask of all. It's not easy. But it also doesn't work to do the opposite. For one, like I said, the codependency. It's an extremely unsexy dynamic because as many times as I have done this with a dude, like, oh, well, what's going on um, is an ego wound. And this relates to how your ex treated you. Never once, never have I had a guy turn around and say, oh my God, thank you. Never. They get really creeped out. They get very, very embarrassed. Very embarrassed. It's like you see this underworld, or I'm sorry, underbelly, well, underworld, that they don't want to think is there. And we talked about this in a recent YouTube video about like Jojo Siwa and Candace Cameron, because we were talking about how to be less sensitive. And the things we get really sensitive about sometimes are things we've never even considered before. Where it's like, wait a minute, (laughs) wait a minute. I knew there was a fire in this category in my life. I know I have dad issues. Now you're telling me my main issue is actually with my grandmother? Wait, what? It can be very exposing, if that's a word, and jarring to think that, oh, I've been so myopic on this one thing and everyone else really knows what's up. And because it makes you feel embarrassed, like, oh, is everyone laughing at me? Is everyone seeing what I'm too stupid to see? That's a very hard thing to get your head around. And do you want to move closer to that feeling? No. You want to shrink away from it. And consequently, you want to slither away from the person who embodies that feeling, the person who brought you that feeling, us. You want to shrink away from that. And guys (laughs) are so ruled by their egos This is like times a billion for them. I mean, yeah, of course, we're prideful creatures. You know, I'm an ego monster. But I mean, it's nothing compared to men. Like, they're just, it's just this throbbing, constant thing within them. So if we don't like that feeling, if we don't like the feeling of, oh, um, 
everyone knows why you act the way that you do, or at the very least I do, and I'm going to rub your nose in it. If we don't like that, I mean, a man absolutely can't handle it. He will burn the house down rather than try to clean it up. You will be collateral damage getting rid of this feeling. And let me tell you, it's unfair as fuck. Is this not so unfair? It's like, I'm trying to fucking help you. I'm trying to help you, dude. Like, I'm trying to make you better, me better, all of us better. And what is the thanks I get from it? You're so creeped out by me. You're embarrassed and you associate me with this terrible ego wound now, right? Or it doesn't go that way. And he's like, oh my God, tell me more. Let's say it does go that way. Then you've got a parent-child dynamic, don't you? Hmm. How sexy that is too. So either you're this you know, ego association, and he throws the baby out with the bathwater, or your mommy, your therapist, and he's using you basically as free emotional labor to get better. And when he does, when he does, when you put him through the Shallon emotional rehab, the Caitlin emotional rehab, whatever, you know what he's going to do? Oh, thanks. Bye. I'm now going to move on to a girl who doesn't know how broken I was. Someone who doesn't associate me with the worst possible behaviors, worst qualities, worst time in my life, worst version of myself. She doesn't know any of that. Thank you so much for helping me flip this house. That I have seen a lot. There is actually no prize for unpaid fake girlfriend therapist of the year. There's not. I've investigated. I've Googled. There isn't one. What do you get from this? Well, I know what you're thinking. Well, <laughs> what I might get from it is a better boyfriend, is moving on from the situation he's stuck in. It's a partner who's now present because we've cleared this obstacle out of our path, right? Or I get a best friend who's like done with this fuckboy. I get a mom who's finally standing up for herself at work and not bitching all the time. I know, girl. I know. I know. In a perfect world, that is exactly what we get. That's what we deserve for being so empathetic and smart and clever and aware that you want to help other people. We should get a prize at the end of the year. We should get a whole ass parade, but we do not. And it's unfair and it's bullshit, but most of life is. Most of life is unfair bullshit. Why do I have to sort my recycling? Why can't somebody do it for me? I pay for this shit, right? But I do. So I want us to take the Penny Benjamin route. I know you can do it. I dealt with an ex recently who has had issues with drinking. And in the past, oh my fucking God, Therapist Shallon was on duty. She was clocking in. Let me get my smock. My shift just started. And he never wanted to hear it. He ignored me. He became so resentful. Because in his mind, and he's told me this, I was acting like I was better than him. And I was acting like he was so, so broken. And I mean, he was, and I am. <laughs> like, if you want to get down to it, like, he, I'm not better than him, not at all. But I was just more like aware. Like, I was just aware of what was going on. He's a fantastic person, but I was just 
objective. I'm like, here is why you're acting this way. Here's where it's coming from in your childhood. And he was like, do you know so much? It was that embarrassment and shame. And it was feeling even lower than his addiction was making him feel. Like, not only do I feel shitty about myself, and believe me, I'm aware I have a problem, but now I have this girl who I want to impress, who I want to look like a man in front of, making me feel even lower because she just knows so much. There was not gratitude. There was not a thank you. There was certainly not a shift. There was not an aha moment. It was the opposite. He ran. He entrenched more into these bad behaviors. And I had to like throw my hands in the air and be like, I'm done. And after I walked away, not that it had anything to do with me, I don't think. He eventually did hit the point where he's like, I want to change. I want to be better. And he did. And he became the fantastic person I always saw in him. And that's what was so difficult. It's like when we have these conversations with people, when we try to help them, it comes from such a place of love. Also frustration, but frustration born of love. You know your friend deserves better. You know your boyfriend is a great person. But listen, potential isn't a person. Neither is nostalgia. You can't date potential. You can't be besties with potential. And you certainly can't make someone else see it inside them if they just fundamentally will not or cannot at this point in time. What you can do is Penny Benjamin. I've dealt with a different person and they were going through substance issues. I know, like they're everywhere in my life. And the old me would have gone into therapist mode and here's why, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, hey, look, let's be sober together. I don't drink anymore. Like, this would be fun. You know, this is how I'm going to move through life. If you want to join me, that's great. I'd love to have you. But if not, that's okay. If and when you're ready, I'm still going to be moving like this. And you're always welcome. It was the hardest thing in the world for me to say. I meant none of it. It was complete horseshit. I wanted to grab him by the ears, shake him, and say, listen to me. Do what I'm telling you to do. But I didn't. I penny Benjamined it. I cheerleadered it. I said, hey, okay, you know, this is what works for me. I think you'd be happier like this. But if not, like, you're on your own path. And I said something else. I said, I trust your judgment to know when you want to make a change. I trust you. You're a fantastic person. You're smart, sexy, or a great kisser. I mean, not that that matters. But you know what you're doing. You run a business. You have friends. You have an amazing family. Like, you, you got this. And hey, if and when you decide this doesn't work for you, you know where to find me. But I'm going to keep on moving and grooving. Number one, I'm not making someone feel small. I'm not positioning themselves like, I'm doing it right. You're doing it wrong. I'm saying the opposite. I'm like, hey, we all have different paths, different schedules at different times. Like, I don't drink now. I certainly was last summer. And if someone had come to me last summer and was like, um, you need to stop drinking. Like, this is why you're doing this. Blah, blah, blah. Even if I knew that they were right, I wasn't ready to hear it or I... I needed to reach that conclusion on my own. And it's not even like I had a problem. I was just, you know, run-of-the-mill summer wild child and kind of unhappy about it. But I needed to hit the point where I'm like, ugh, I'm good. I'm good on this front. And everybody needs that room. They need room to be an autonomous adult and reach their own conclusions. And it's frustrating as fuck. Can you imagine what it's like to be a parent? Can you imagine? 
this is truly one of the reasons I'm scared to have kids and I don't think I will. I cannot imagine how codependent I would be with my children. Like I would do everything for them. I would force every lesson down their throat. It would be agony 24-7 to let them make their mistakes in their own time, on their own schedule, as their psyche decided it needed to happen. Absolute hellscape. Couldn't do it. So if you are a parent and if you have managed to avoid that codependency, oh my God. I literally just got goosebumps thinking about it. I am in awe of you. That's unbelievable. And if you're just a friend or a girlfriend or a sister or a daughter who's like, you know what? I'm going to let people figure things out on their own. Nobody's done until they're done. Nobody's changing until something's too uncomfortable. The cost of the new is outweighing the cost of the bad in a positive way, right? They have looked at the cost of the new and they're like, I'm willing to do that. I'm willing to go to rehab for 60 days. I'm willing to cut off all these people. I'm willing to be single for a few months while I get over this guy and to feel the feels and and experience the pain. I'm at the point where I'm ready to do that. And none of us can get anyone else there. So instead of trying, maybe look at the truth that, well, when we've pushed the hardest for someone else to change, maybe it's because we needed to do some changing right? Maybe it's because there were some fires in our lives we're ignoring. We're not infallible. We're not without refinement. So when you feel that codependency kick in and you're just going around in circles, and you're talking to yourself in the mirror about how you're going to talk to your friend and blah, 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 pull back and be like, is there a category of my life that I should be talking to myself in this voice? Real stern, like not taking any shit. Oh, is it me who needs to go to the gym? Is it I who needs to finish setting up that Etsy store? Could it be the Shallon that needs to get her work done instead of bitching at other people? Huh. Well, fuck. Because ironically, when we have our ducks in a row and when we feel like our life is, you know, we're living it right, it is so paradoxical that we feel not nearly as compelled to bitch at other people. You'd think it'd be the opposite. It's like, I've got it all figured out. So fuck you guys. You better listen to me. And maybe there's like a ripple of that here and there in certain categories. But I mean, at least for me, when I look back on when I've been the most like judgy about how other people are living, I was living wrong. Totally wrong. Not totally, but like some bit of their dynamic was very reminiscent of something that I was doing wrong in my life. Absolutely. Like they're out of control. Like, look at, they're just, they're sleeping around. They're not getting their work done. Oh, gee, what was my weekend like? Hmm. Okay. I mean, he's just letting his ego get in the way of everything. Is that because historically that's what I've done? Oh, well, fuck. Okay. So pull back. Ask yourself if maybe there's something this is kicking up in your life that's provoking this kind of intense reaction and therefore potential codependency and go back to your Penny Benjamin. Your arm is around their shoulder. You're giving them a squeeze and a little shake. You're saying, hey, I believe in you. I trust you. You got this. Sometimes that's all people honestly do need to hear is that the world has faith in them and that someone they respect believes in them and respects them right back. Try it because clearly our hyper-plugging in, our codependency, our pass the ball to Britney mentality isn't fucking working. It's 
corroding ourselves. We're getting so annoyed. It's driving people away from us. And it's not even solving the problem. Like it's not even working. So let's pull back and let's have a Top Gun summer. Let's have a mustache summer and let's have a Penny Benjamin kind of life. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did, rate and review. It really means a lot. Also, feel free to share the Girl on Top podcast. And like I said, join me for our Alpha Academy sexy sessions while they're still here. And if you happen to miss them or you just want to be able to binge them, join me in the Shalantourage, our daily tech service that also gives you access to our exclusive Telegram chat just with some pretty bad bitch alligators. I'll see you next week. Bye, ladies. Well, that's it for this episode of Girl on Top. Thanks for being part of the Shalantourage. If you have a love question you need some help with, find me on my website, shallonlester.com, and be sure to connect with me on Instagram at shallonxo and subscribe to my YouTube channel. Stay sweet, stay savage.